With me today, I have Lori Heino Royer, who is a CPA and an MBA, and the director of business innovation and project management office for Daimler Trucks. Um, I just thought that combination of all those letters is super impressive. Um, She started her career as a certified public accountant, providing her with a great foundation for understanding how decisions impact the bottom line. She realized that she was more interested in delivering financial results than accounting for them. I I, I feel you on that. Uh, so she then developed and ran Daimler Truck North America's first internal incubator. Um, Lori led the initial team who developed and implemented the first version of a DTNA sales iPad app, which sounds super techie. Lori is skilled and passionate about sto- telling stories and uncovering insights with data and providing actionable recommendations. Um, currently, she spends her time at Daimler doing business development in the connected and autonomous space, very happening spot of CES. There's a lot of activity there on that, I know. She is a BIDA Blockchain and Transport Alliance board member and a PSU Portland State University Alumni Associate board member. In 2014, Lori received Portland Business Journal's Women of Influence Orchid Award. In 2015, she received the Manufacturing Institute's Step Ahead Award for Women in Manufacturing. So it is uh, with great pleasure that I have somebody with your distinguished background and a fellow auto person mm-hmm. join me. So yes. thank you. Well, thank you for having me here it's, today. It's fun. Um, so I was just, obviously, I had worked for Daimler Chrysler way back in the day when Daimler and Chrysler were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know a lot of women in the automotive world and... Um, it's a kinship that we have, I always find, for women in auto. Um, but the way that you found your way to the automotive world mm-hmm. is sort of interesting to me. Will yep. you share that? Yeah. So I, I didn't start in the automotive world, and I didn't intend to be there. Um, so I started my career as an accountant. And um, as a young, early adult, my ambition was to become a tax accountant and work during tax seasons and stay home and raise a bunch of kids. Uh, that didn't really work out for me. That's all right. So you grew up like, I can't wait to be a tax accountant. Yes. Like, you know, tax season as a child. What? How does one grow up aspiring to want to be a tax accountant and do people's taxes? Usually it's, I, well, like, painful. It, but it was more about being able to add some income and not work the whole year. Oh, um, so okay. it was more focused on uh, I Balance. I understood accounting and it made sense for me. So that was something that came very naturally to me. And it seemed like a great way that I could have supplemental income and work part of the year and then part of the year be at home and really be um, oriented with the kids. Mm-hmm. So that was where I started. Um, I went through the process to get my CPA, and you have to actually be in practice for a few years before you can and, and pass the exam before you can actually get your certification. And I did all of that, and while I was doing that, I realized that that really wasn't what I wanted to do, and really wasn't what I what I was happiest at. And I also got divorced during that time frame. Uh, so my life was changing in many ways. I did. I had one child mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so I found myself as a single mom. And when I had um, put myself through college, I worked for GE, and I answered the phone number on the back of a credit card. Um, wow. And then that's how I made my money to put myself through college to, to get my undergrad degree. And I knew I didn't want to work for a big company again. So I basically swore off any large company, and I said, I, I need to, I belong with a small company. 
This is where my, you know, my whole mantra was about never a big company again. Mm-hmm. And so I worked for a couple of small companies and I just had a succession of things happen. So one company I got, I was working for, got bought by E-Trade. The next, and they wanted to relocate everybody across the country and I, I wasn't able to do that. So the, the next company I started working with, the CEO, I'll say he lacked integrity and it did not equal the integrity that I possess. And I found myself as a single mom saying, this is not where I want to be. And I want to feel like um, the person that I'm working for and the company that I'm working for values the same things that I value. Mm-hmm. And so I quite honestly took the job at Daimler, which we were known as Freightliner at the time, mm-hmm. as a hold me over job so that I would basically have some stability because at that point I was a single mom and I was in, back in school trying to get my MBA because I knew that accounting wasn't exactly where I wanted to be forever, but I knew that I needed to expand my skills in order to get to the next place. Mm -hmm. So I took a job at Freightliner at the time in corporate audit, and I started there in corporate audit and was able to move into many new and uh, very different things throughout my career. That's amazing. So I always, I mean, look, you, I love it. That's best laid plans, you know, (laughs) and you've had some good ones. But what was there, you know, I, I asked this whole Mm -hmm. moment question that we've all had at least one and um i i know you thought you had one early on Mm -hmm. that that was really pivotal for you right it was yes it was even before i went to school Mm -hmm. so i i did not take the traditional path and graduate high school and then start in college i did that and i took a couple classes and i hated it and it wasn't for me and i wasn't really ready to be in school and so i think that's super important by the way in this day and age i just i want to take a pause there because You've been amazingly successful, and I, I think is you're a mother, I'm a mother. Yeah. We are, you know, we push our children that success looks like just what you said, mm-hmm. right? Going from here into college, and you did that and found out for yourself that that wasn't right. And right. that is true for a lot of people, that it isn't necessarily the right path. And so what was it? You you just you didn't feel connected. Can you share a little bit about what that was? Well, and I was taking classes, and I, I didn't understand them. And it all still felt very uncomfortable for me. And so I I didn't, I wasn't able to relate in the real world of why those things were important to me Mm -hmm. or why and how they would be important to me in the future. And so they were almost meaningless. So I was doing them because I was being told to go down this path, but it didn't have a meaning or a purpose for me. And so I I just quit taking them. And I said, this isn't the right thing for me. And I, I spent a little bit of time sort of floating around different things. I, I thought I had figured life out because I was 22 years old. I was making $10 an hour. And I thought, what could be better? What, what more do I need in life? Um, you know, how does it come together? And I had started working for this company. And the, the guy that I was working for, it was a small company. He told me that um, I had the highest paying job I would ever have in his company as a woman. And, and what are you in your twenties at this point? Yeah, I think I was about twenty-two. Jesus, right? Wow! So, Boom. so here's here it is. Here's what the world looks like, right? Wow! And it was really interesting because in the moment when he said it to me, I was asking for what was next. What, what's the next step? What, what do I? What do I get to do right. next? And to have that sort of be my reality was really a slap in the face. And. I don't even really kind of remember what happened the rest of that day or how I got through the rest of the day because it was just a jumble in my head. Like, I I don't know what just happened. And I waited until I got home. And by the time I got home, I I broke out into like full-blown tears. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking like 
well, congrats Tears for making pouring it home down. to do that. At <laughs> yeah. 22 especially, right? And and I just had no idea what that meant for my life, right? Like I felt like I was doomed. My life was over. I was 22 and I was never going to be anything more. Wow. And I thought that's not who I am. And so I I literally started I I knew I couldn't work for this person anymore. I'm like I just need a new job. And I started looking for the job and at, this was before the internet was so prevalent as it is today, especially for jobs, and you had to look in the newspaper. <laughs> and so I'm trying to look kids, it's that stuff. <laughs> It's, that it's made your hands dirty. It makes your hand dirty and you have to flip through. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to look through the, the want ads and I'm crying so hard that like the newspaper is being wet. So oh I can't God. really see everything. It's like a bad music video, right? <laughs> it is. It's like, but, but this was my real life. Oh, no. And so as I was looking at the jobs and I'm trying to circle things that, that looked like they might be interesting, what I realized is that this guy basically took the shortcut and he said that the problem was my gender. And the problem wasn't my gender. The problem was that I didn't have any skills because I didn't put myself in college. I didn't do anything. So because I had left that that track in my life, I didn't have anything that these jobs were looking for. And for that was how I gained my purpose and my vision of what school was about. So when I went back to school, I, I ended up graduating cum laude and having honors through school because it was important to me because it meant something because I could see what it was going to do for me in my life and I never understood that when I tried the first time yeah did so first of all wildly mature of you I would have been bitter at that man for a good long time um so I think that you've risen above that and we're like you know what it was a gift actually mm-hmm. because he he opened my eyes and it, 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 it sort of led you to the path where you are. So sometimes if we see that window in those negative situations, it can lead to really great things. But was there, I mean, was it really self-revelation? Did, were you speaking, I don't know, did you speak to your mom or did you speak with a friend when they were like, no, look, it's not your gender that's holding back. It's just skills. And if you had these was that did you come to that on your own or was there somebody no, I think it life? was pretty much on my own I was married at the time and um you know he and I talked through it a lot and and it was really I mean just realizing as you're sitting there trying to circle jobs and realizing I wasn't qualified for any of them um, and it was the realization that, was that I wasn't qualified and I'm like well what I need to change is me and and then it I didn't really realize I think, and able to put it in those words until much later in my life. Mm-hmm. Maybe about eight or nine years ago, I spent a lot of time reflecting on what the pivotal moments in my life were and what they meant. And that was where I really was able to articulate, he chose the short way by saying it was my gender because mm-hmm. it was easy for him to say. It's more difficult for people to give you real feedback. Right. And the real feedback there would have been, look, you don't have the skills to advance in my organization. Right. And that would have been legit. But you have to actually figure that out. And right. so instead of trying to figure that out, he just took the shortcut and said, it's your gender. It's your gender. You've had um, more of those sort of, you know, hoshimos, those big holy shit moments. Um You'd, you'd mentioned to me when we spoke earlier that you um, had this sort of – you continue on this path of self-reflection, but you had this moment of self-reflection when you were promoted yes. to an executive. Yes. Um, 
I, I'll, I'll say I was almost caught off guard in a lot of ways by that. I had been working at Daimler for several years, and um, there are a lot of pivotal moments and things that happened in my career at Daimler, and I'd moved to different jobs into different roles. And in about the 2008 timeframe, I had um, just recently got remarried. I was pregnant with my second child, and I um, they were relocating the company to the, the division that I worked in to the other side of the country. And my I wasn't ready to move. I had just got married. I'm pregnant. I'm yeah. like, I'm not ready to do this. Yeah. And so I actually signed paperwork to leave the company and to take a package and say, OK, I'm done. And then the economy completely started falling apart. And I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be so quick. And so I reached back out to other departments that I had worked in before. And I reached back out to our CFO. And I said, hey, I, I know that I've gone down this path to say that I'm going to leave the organization. I, I don't know what you might have open, but I'm really open to staying. But I know that I can't stay in the sales world, which is where I've lived in the past like five years. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you have anything open at all, I'd be interested in talking about it. And so he called me back. Literally, I left him a voicemail that kind of said that at about maybe, let's say, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. By 5 o'clock that evening, I had a position in his organization, um, which I think speaks towards – Working for a large organization, which I remember earlier didn't want to ever do again, now I see all the benefits in that as well. So the fact that they know me and they know who I am and they know what I'm capable of and they're willing to let me do other things and they know how to use my skills is really um, an advantage that you don't get when you're with small companies. You have to jump from company to company and then you have to teach everyone what your skill set is every time you do that jump. Mm -hmm. When you're with a large organization – they know what that is. They count on it from you, and they push you to new places. So was this role the promotion? This, so this is... almost. Oh, so, okay. so basically I took a job in a whole new space again, which was doing project management. And I came in and I represented sales in the project ma- yeah. management area. And so we had a leader, um, our executive, and we followed him. And we so I spent about two or three years in that role. And then he was getting promoted and he was relocating to Germany. And I'm thinking, oh, who's going to end up in his job? And I'm, I'm laying out the list of people that are most likely. And he comes into my office and he says, I'm recommending you. And I about fell out of my chair because I was preparing for like, who's my next boss going to be? And how does it come together? I wasn't necessarily looking at it to say, I'm going to be the next person who stepped into that. So the moment that that occurred, I was like, okay, here I am. You got to step up. You got to make this happen. And it wasn't only becoming an executive. It was a very specialty situation where this particular role reported directly to the CEO with two levels missing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like the first level as an executive, there's two more levels Mm -hmm. of executive, and then the CEO. So normally you would never report to the CEO like that. So it was a very specialized position. And I recall thinking to myself, like, am I really ready for this? Like, they wouldn't say I was ready for this. They wouldn't believe in me if they didn't believe. So I am ready. Now you actually have to go make this happen. And I had the great honor of reporting directly to the CEO for six years, um, which was a whole set of new growth and development Mm -hmm. as well. But that moment of somebody walking into your office and saying, you're the person we're going to recommend, just really was one of those moments like, did that just happen? Yeah. This is, so did, did, why didn't you, or maybe why was it a shock to you? Because do you, is there, what, what's behind you that you weren't like, I've 
absolutely should be considered for this. Um, well, I think I, they call it the what? There's so many words for it. It's the syndrome. The I don't belong at the table. Uh. What? It, what are all those things? You know, I grew up. Um, my I was raised by my mom um, as a single mom mm. with my brother. I uh, you heard my path towards school yeah. was not the traditional path towards school. I had no um, Ivy League criteria in my background. Um, so a lot of um, what I'd seen modeled and what I'd seen make to executive levels before was really that type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't who I was. And I did not see myself as that. And so I I even today don't have aspirations that say I have to get to the next level. And I have other um, counterparts and um, colleagues that I work with that are very determined and they have to get to the next level and that's what success looks like for them. Mm-hmm. And for me, I define my success in how I am living my life. Mm-hmm. And so my success is defined, am I able to spend time with my children? Am I able to spend time with my grandchildren? Am I able Wait a to... second, you have grandchildren? I do. Stop it. <laughs> we okay. have five. Woo, this is where we can't... This is this is where <laughs> video and photos must come in because you look like you're 35 years old. So, okay. I'm much older than that. Okay. Thank you. Wow. Um, but the, the grandchildren are uh, from my husband. So we, uh, my second marriage, and we both brought children to the marriage. Um, so together we have five kids and five grandkids. Congratulations. And our kids go in age from the youngest is 10 and the oldest is 42. And <laughs> And then our grandchildren are between the ages of five and twelve. Oh my gosh! Wow, I love that the aunts and the and the uncles are sort of like the same age or yes. the, the right the the nephew yes. or niece is older than the aunt or uncle exactly. situation. Exactly. That's funny. Um, so so life has just been for me about what do I want out of my life, yep. and I I work different hours. I get into the office at six in the morning. I typically leave by three or three thirty. So if I'm still there at five o'clock, people are like, "What's wrong?" Why is she still here? What's happening? And those kinds of flexibilities are because I've been with the company so long and they know I'm going to accomplish everything. And so I'm looking for things like that. Like what makes my world tick? What, What do I need to make it happy? to make my world happy and to make my this the circle of people that are in my world happy, I'm much more interested in that as my direction and my goal than I am I have to get the next level. The title attached or, to your name. Exactly. So, so even the level that I'm at now, I was never a person like, I have to be at that level or I'm not going to be happy in life. Right. Good for you. Uh, good for you. Well, and so I'm going to go back to something you said about you didn't have that Ivy League pedigree. Mm-hmm. But I think you told me a story about how you went to a was it uh, Harvard? Harvard yes, um, executive and you did a, an executive training or an executive yes. women seminar. And so I've done a couple things since. So when I was reporting to the CEO, I had a a lot of opportunities and I was able to develop myself in ways that I never imagined I could. So one of the things that we talked about that that he saw in me was like, you have to believe in yourself in a way that you don't. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't have this. And he's like, so go get the Harvard, Ivy, whatever you need, go figure it out. And as part of my development track, which is, is really unusual, right? Like you don't right. have that kind of development or I haven't 
always had that kind of development on a personal level. Well, you're used to people being like, this is about as good as it gets, sister. Like, yeah. yeah don't aspire for anything else. And now you've got a, a, a was it a man? Yes. A male, male, a, male. a male manager executive saying, no, no, go get it. Right. Go, go figure it out. And so I went to Harvard Executive Women's Leadership Program, um, which I think was like a two-week program on site at Harvard. So we actually stayed in dorms and did all this. And it's a collection of women from around the world. Um, and you have to apply to get into the program. And what you had to do was you had to create a, um, you had to say something that you were struggling with in your life, whether it's personal or work. And what they did is they put you in groups. And in the groups, we met every single morning before we had class and they called us that um, our board of directors. And by the time we left, we had worked through and every single one of us had a plan on how we were going to solve that problem through the work that we did with our board of directors each morning. Hmm. So wait, the board of directors was the group of women that you were paired, that you yes, were that you with. were grouped with at Harvard. And how many were there? Um, I think there were five. Oh, okay, so in the group, so it was small. a very small group, okay. and then they had an advisor come in with you every morning. Okay, so walking you through all the stuff. Okay, um, and it was great because it was enough time that by the end of it, it was like you know that I'm calling bullshit on you because you're not going far enough. You're not fighting for yourself enough. You're still hiding in this woman that you were before you got here, um, and it was really inspirational for me. And so I came home and I said, I need this for myself. And so I actually spent about two years developing my own personal board of directors right here. Most of them are in Portland. Not all of them are. And um, we we get together and it's not quite as formal. So we've put our own touch on it. So um, we generally meet out at the Allison or some other nice hotel. And I think generally everybody brings their own bottle of wine. Nice. <laughs> so we go through a lot of wine in the evening. <laughs> but we, we basically kind of talk through what are the issues we're facing um, with our families, at our, at our employment, and just in life in general, yeah. and how do we help and support each other. And, and it's been fabulous because we've also become just friends. And we, um, a few of us have kids that are very similar in age. And the unique thing is that um, several— grandchildren. Yes. Jeez. Well, I think I'm the only one with grandchildren. <laughs> But our our kids are also, like, we're so alike and so different at the same time. So my daughter goes to um, a full Spanish immersion school. Well, one of the other women, her daughter goes to a full immersion school in Chinese. Um, I have another one whose um, daughter goes to a full immersion school in German. And so they're not in the same languages, but the same sort of, like, approach to how the education experience. So we have a lot of similarities, but we're all in completely different fields. And so if somebody's speaking at an event, we try to come and support that person. Um, we're there for each other, even on text messaging when on a day something doesn't go well. On a day when you want to celebrate and, and you're the boss and you can't go in and go, I just had this home yeah. run in front of your whole team and, you know, kind of look crazy. You can reach out to any one of them and they want to celebrate with you. And so it gives you this outlet to be yourself in a way that I didn't have that outlet before. That's great. And so, and hopefully that it, I mean, do, have you found that it, because I look at you, I'm like, why? You should be thinking, like, I absolutely should be president and the executive. And has it has it changed how you see yourself and your your confidence and your... No, I think you seem not confident, by the way, but just... 
changing your mindset at all? No, I think I think it helped me get clearer with my mindset. Okay. So I used to always say I want to be the CEO of my own company. Mm-hmm. And I was on like kind of this hell-bent thing that I was going to either create my own company or buy a company or I was going to do something. And what I realized as I as I really got honest with myself and had others be brutally honest with me, right? Yes. Um, Which is what that's all about, that that wasn't really what I wanted. And what I really want is to be able to be able to make an impact on areas where I have expertise. Mm -hmm. And truly, that is more important to me than to have a title. Mm -hmm. And I was always going after that CEO-type title because people told me that's what the next step is. Mm -hmm. And and so I was stuck again on that path that somebody else put me on, and it wasn't really working for me. So I actually had a lot of opportunities, and I had several CEO roles um, approach me and say, are you interested? I'd like to have you be the CEO of my company in here. And and at the end of the day, it just wasn't so interesting anymore. Yeah. And I was like, well, why is this not interesting? Like, I really need to sort of pull this apart and unpack it in a way that I can understand. And that was where I really came to the understanding of that's not really what I want. Mm-hmm. What I really want is to be able to spend time with my family and I want to be able to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I want to have impact in ways that other people aren't capable of giving impact. Mm-hmm. And so I've really spent my time focusing on on those things. So one of the the, the last the last little piece of your story that I, I thought was fun that I'd like to hear about is how you've taken sort of these strange approaches or these nuanced approaches, if you will, whether yep. it's your board of directors all the way to your team. So I don't know if you do it at home with the family and you make the kids and the grandkids do it, but you talked about this uh, this improv. Yes. Um, so I, <laughs> I do lots of crazy things, um, but in very good ways. Yeah. So in business, what we find is that there's a lot of things that we do that are um, – that are taught to us in business school that are really not all that effective. And it's also, it's it's kind of like this um, capitalist approach on the individual as opposed to the team. And then in the past, I'll say decade, this whole, oh, you need to work as a team has come, has come about in the workplace. But nobody really teaches you how to be a good team member. Nobody really teaches, maybe if you played a sport through school, you kind of got that. I was never into sports or really on teams as a kid growing up so teams for me have always been this like what does this really mean like I don't get it like it was kind of not really there for me and so um, I started with this organization called On Your Feet um, and they do um, improv for business and what they do is they teach improv and the tenants for improv but they translate them into business activities so for example one of the number one tenants of stand up improv and this is kind of like whose line is it any Way, uh-huh. right that you've seen on TV a hundred times yeah. it's not about trying to be funny it's about having each other's back mm-hmm. so what makes it enjoyable for us to watch is that each person is paying 100% attention and they are trying to make what the person in front of them said look better and so they're trying to support each other. And so it's not that they've come up with these funny jokes that they're going to stand up and tell you like a stand-up comedian in this row, in this way, there's the tone of their voice and the inflection is going to make you laugh. The, what's in funny and what's fun for us is that they're paying so much attention and they're intentionally trying to make each other look better. Right. And I can't think of when was the last time I went into a meeting and felt that everyone around me was going to do nothing but try to make me look better. Yeah. 
Wow. And I thought, what would happen in our careers if we could bring that kind of tenant into the workplace that every time you walked into a meeting that everyone was actually trying to make everyone else look better? Like, what does that mean? So the other piece of, of the improv that I that I truly enjoy is is the, the art of listening. And I think that a lot of people think that they listen, but they really don't. So there's a difference between hearing and listening. And with the improv, it, you really have to listen as part of it. And I, I don't ever recall taking a class in, in my education where it was focused on how to actually listen. So they teach you things like be an active listener, repeat back what the person said, but it's not it doesn't really take it into true form of what it means. So for example, in the improv class that we do, one of my favorite games is called the physical telephone. And so what you do is you line up a row of people, let's say like 10 people, and um, each person is facing in the same direction so they can't see each other. And you tap a person on the back and you do three body movements. And then that person sort of falls off and that person has to turn around and do the three body movements to the next person. And by the time it gets, it's never the same. Mm -hmm. And that's because as we're listening, we're also bringing our life experience and and our interpretation of what just happened. And when we then share that interpretation, it's different Mm -hmm. than what we actually saw. Mm -hmm. And so this listening component to try to actually really listen to what a person is saying is more than just did you hear them, but how did you interpret it and what is your expectation for how much they get? Mm. And so when you actually see this in life occurring in front of you, it gives you a whole new appreciation of how you might communicate in the future. If this is the one thing that they have to get every single time, how do you give it to them in 25 different ways so that they're all coming back to the same thing? And it's really about how people listen. It's amazing. I love I- that improv situation where you don't leave one another hanging, mm-hmm. um, learning to be a, a listener, not a, not just memorizing and reciting, but listening and listening for those cues to be able to give back is amazing. Well, this has been fantastic, Lori. What a great what a great story. I love the the very non traditional approach you took. I love the way that you've you've used these like great holy shit moments in your life to just not only make yourself better but actually give something nuanced back to your your teams and um, and that you've you've settled on what's important. Success is not just a title. It's right. much much more. Well, thank you for having me today. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Absolutely. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.